Um, I'll pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for everything you've done for us. I pray that you'd uh, that you would be with the time that we have together today. I pray that you would speak to hearts. I pray that you would speak through me. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, today, I, I want to talk about courage. Um, um, a great philosopher. Um, by the name of Bruce Lee, said this about courage. <laughs> uh, courage is not the absence of fear, it's the ability to act in the presence of fear. Um, just because you're afraid um, doesn't mean that you can't have courage, right? Or you, or you could say it like this, courage is not the absence of fear, it's doing what's right in spite of the circumstances and in spite of the consequences, right? Um, if you're going to make it in life, you will need courage. If you're going to do anything good in life, you are going to need courage. If you're going to make any type of stand in life, you are going to need courage. Um, we live in a society where it seems like everything is backwards. And, and if we as Christians want to stand up and proclaim the truth in the way that God wants us to proclaim the truth, it's going to take courage. It takes courage to stand up and say unpopular things, right? Um, have you ever been in a situation where you've uh, expressed the opinion, you know, cats are better than dogs, and all the dog people are like, oh, how dare you? Dogs are the best. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, uh, he, uh, Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. That is a cat, I'm just saying. And those uh, who didn't make it into heaven who are outside of the gates of Jerusalem, they're, they're called dogs, aren't they? So if, if, if you want to argue with the Bible, you need to get out of here, right? Because we stand on the truth of God's word. Um, now, I, obviously, I'm being silly, right? And like any, when you express an opinion like that, um, it, you arouse good nature ribbing, right? But when you take other stands... Um, it's not good nature ribbing, is it? It's vitriol. Like, you're a bigot. Like, you're, you're full of hate. Um, we're, not a big, we're not bigots. We're not full of hate. But if we want to take the stand that God wants us to stand, we need courage. Um, another great philosopher has this quote. He says, courage, we need courage. Courage, what is it? Courage is what makes a king out of a slave. Courage. And what makes the flag on the mast to wave. Courage and what makes the elephant charge his tusk in the misty mist or the dusky dusk. What makes the muskrat guard his musk? Courage. What makes the sphinx the seventh wonder? Courage. What makes the dawn come down like thunder? Courage. What makes the hootin' tootin' so hoot? What puts the ape in apricot? Well, what they have is what I ain't got. It's courage. Um, that's the great philosopher, the cowardly lion, right? Even a silly kid's movie puts forth the need for courage, doesn't it? When you, when you watch um, movies that are aimed at kids, like, uh, you know, you watch the Chronicles of Narnia, the, 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 the need for courage in these stories is put forth in an obvious way, aren't they? In order to um, slay the dragon, the hero, and our kids tells, they need courage. 
The same is true of us as Christians. Again, in order to do anything worth doing in life, you will need courage. It takes courage to stand and tell the truth when everyone around you wants to hear a lie. It takes courage to lead your family in the opposite direction of society. It takes courage to stand for what's right when the world around you hates righteousness. In short, if we are going to be the people that God wants us to be, then courage is a must. Now, before we talk about courage, I want today what I want to do, I want to give you two examples of courage. Um, and then I want to talk about the necessity of courage, which seems to be backwards. But next week, we're going we're gonna to talk about courage again, but we're going to talk about cowardice next week. And the week after that, we're going to talk about how we become courageous. Does that make sense? So what is the opposite of courage? Well, the opposite of courage is cowardice, isn't it? Courage demands us to take hard stands. Courage demands us to make hard decisions. Whereas cowardice says to us to put off our decision, right? Put off your decision to do what's right for a more convenient time. However, this is the opposite of what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible tells us that today, today, today is the time to do what's right. Um, somebody once said this about cowardice. He says, cowardice settles deep in our souls like the idle mist of stagnant waters. From it arises unhealthy vapors and deceiving phantoms. The thing that cowardice fears most is decision. For decision always scatters the mist, at least for a moment. Cowardice thus hides behind the thought it likes best of all, the crutch of time. Cowardice and time always find a reason for not hurrying, for not saying for, for saying not today, but tomorrow. Whereas God and heaven and the eternal say do it today. Now is the day of salvation, right? The eternal refrain of um, heaven is today, today, today. But cowardice holds back. It holds us up. If only cowardice would appear in all of its baseness, one could recognize it for what it is and fight it immediately. And now, it is, a, it is a constant temptation to put off the next right thing to do, isn't it? Uh, to say, well, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll read extra Bible tomorrow. But I'll pray extra long tomorrow. I'll go to church next week. Right? I'll call the person that God has laid on my heart tomorrow. But here's the thing that we must remember. No one has ever made a decision for Christ tomorrow. If we want to decide and make a decision for Jesus, we must do it today. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2? says, for he, hath, for he saith, I have heard thee in the time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have secured thee. Behold, now is the day of salvation. In this passage, Paul is talking about the fact that because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, salvation is now made available to everyone. He's also more subtly making the point that the offer of salvation has an expiration date. That is, there is coming a day that the offer of salvation will be removed. Now, the same is true with our Christian walk and with our Christian stand. There are no stands to be made in 
heaven. There are no souls to be made to be one in heaven. If we are going to fight this battle that God has called us to do, we have to do it while we are here on earth because in, the, in heaven there, there is no war. There's only peace. Therefore, the time to act is now. Don't put it off. We have to do it today. Remember that the gospel, remember in the gospels when the, when the man comes to Jesus and wanted to follow him, and then he says to Jesus, the only thing I'm asking before I follow you is, hey, let me go home and let me attend to some family business. Let me go home and let me make arrangements for my father's funeral. What is Jesus' response? He said this. He said, let the dead bury the dead. Now, this may seem harsh, right? But the, but the point that Jesus is making here is that if, if he were to put off following Jesus, chances are he would never follow Jesus. Chances are he would continue to, to put off following Jesus. A family member might ask him to, to stop serving. A family member might talk him out of his conviction. Or he could lose his nerve. Now, there's an important note that we have to point out, right? Jesus isn't giving a universal principle here in Luke 9, right? Jesus is talking to a specific person. However, I do think we can glean something from this story, right? Um, the, the thing is, serving Jesus is time-sensitive, meaning there is a time for counting the cost, and there is a time for doing. We have to be careful as followers of Jesus not to let the counting of the costs get in the way of the doing. You see, the Christian message is a message of action, isn't it? Right? The message of the gospel is a call to first come and experience, right? Experience what Christ has done for us. Experience a new relationship with the creator of the universe. But it doesn't stop there. Not only does Jesus call us to come and experience, he calls us to go and do. It's the going and the doing that requires courage. If the Christian, if the Christian life were only about coming and fellowshipping together, then there would be no need for courage. We all agree about the importance of the gospel in this room. Most of us love Jesus in this room. Most of us are settled on the fact that this is God's word. You see, it's when we take those ideas outside of these walls that it becomes hard. Right? It's the taking this message outside these walls that it becomes hard. It's easy for us as Christians to hide ourselves in this community and to not reach out. It's easy for us as Christians to form what we call a holy huddle. Like we've, all, we've always talked about the problem with the holy huddle. Um, the problem with the Holy Huddle is the only thing that people see from the outside is a bunch of rear ends, right? Right? Um, what we have in a lot of churches, and sometimes, you know, if we're honest in this church, what we have is like a little group of Christians huddled together, sitting together, congratulating ourselves on our savedness, right? You're saved? Well, I'm saved. Congratulations. You love Jesus? Well, I love Jesus. Congratulations. 
You see, it takes courage to step out. It takes courage to turn from one another out to a lost and dying world. We can't hide ourselves in this little community. Someone once said, a community that seeks to hide itself ceases to follow Jesus. Meaning that the Christian life is lived in public, making public decisions and public declarations. Right? Um, I, I, I want to give us two examples of what courage looks like. I want to give us a biblical example, that is an example found in the Bible. Then I want to give us a historical example, that is an example of a Christian in history and the stand that they took. Um, what's the biblical example? The biblical example is that of Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, he says, I die daily. I die daily. Now, most of the time when we talk about this text, we use it to teach that Christians should die to self. Because Paul, after all, said that he died daily, right? However, this is not what Paul is talking about here. The context that Paul is talking about here is that about the resurrection. He's, he's arguing for the validity of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He's saying that not only did Jesus, some people want to say that Jesus rose spiritually speaking, right? Now, Jesus rose in everything. His body rose from the dead, right? So that's what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about the fact that Jesus rose in his body, right? And and he's also making the point also that not only since Jesus that since Jesus rose from the, the dead bodily, one day we will rise from the dead bodily, right? Um, Paul's line of reason goes something like this. He says this. From verses 1 through 9, he makes the point that there are eyewitnesses, right? He's saying, hey, look, we have people who have seen the resurrected Jesus. And then verses 14, verse 14, he says this. If there is no resurrection, then preaching Christ is dumb. Notice verse 14, he says, and if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. And your faith also is vain. And he makes the, a third point. He says, if there is no resurrection, then me preaching Christ is not only dumb, it's dangerous and dumb. His point is this. If there is no resurrection, then why am I risking my life telling everyone that there is a resurrection? Now, the phrase, I die daily, is Paul making the point that his life is in constant danger. Notice verse 32 says, After the manner of men, I fought with the beasts of Ephesus at Ephesus. Now, this is probably a reference to the Judaizers in references at Ephesus. He says, um, and if after the matter of men I, I fought with the beast at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Or we can paraphrase it like this. I face the fear of death every day because I preach the resurrected Christ. How many of you have ever been had your life threatened because of your stand in Jesus. Most of us haven't. Some, some of you may have. Paul's life was in constant peril because of his stand for Jesus, right? Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28, gives a list of his normal circumstances that is bone chilling. He says this, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, and labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths oft. Now, you see here, 
there, there are people who are trying to say that Paul was not a real minister of Christ. So what Paul is doing here is he's giving his credentials of being a disciple. The last part of verse 23, where it says, it sets off, it's, it's meant to point to the fact, it's meant to point out the fact that he was frequently exposed to suffering and pain equal to death. He continues, verses 24 and 27, he says this, of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep and journeyings often in perils of water and perils of robbers and perils of my by my own countrymen and perils by the heathen and perils among the false brethren in weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst and fastings often often and cold and in nakedness you see danger was his constant companion it wasn't that paul went looking for danger is that danger always seemed to know where Paul was at. How many of you that can describe you? I don't, you don't go looking for trouble, but trouble knows where you are. It's like trouble has GPS or something, when you're, and you're on its Google Maps, and it's always finding its way to you. You see, when, when we think about the people in the Bible, we tend to romanticize them, don't we? We tend to see Paul as some type of Superman with his cape flowing in the wind, like afraid of nothing. This was not the case. We read about Paul, who is in constant fear of his life, and yet he did the right thing anyway. That's what courage is. I know this is going to be unpopular, but this is what's right. I'm going to say it anyway. How was he able to do that? He was courageous. Remember, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the ability to act in the presence of fear. It's the ability to do what's right in spite of being afraid. Some of you, God will call you to a situation where you will want, with everything that is within you, not to stand up for what's right. It's going to take courage for you to do it. So we have the biblical example of Paul. We also have the historical example, right? Um, when thinking of historical examples of courage, a few names immediately come to mind, right? People like John Bunyan, right, who spent a lot of his life in prison because of his stand for God. People like David Brainerd, um, who was a missionary to the Native Americans. People like John Huss, who was burned at the stake. People like Martin Luther. Now, these are all great Christians of history that, that were bold and took courageous stands. However, the person I want to talk about today is a guy by the name of Athanasius. Who's ever heard of Athanasius? Athanasius spent nearly 17 years of his life in exile because of his stand for the deity of Christ. How many of you have ever heard of the Council of Nicaea? Athanasius was involved in that council. Um, um, he, with his pen, almost single-handedly stopped the spread of something known as Ar or Arianism. 
uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with that term, think of modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Um, the Arians taught that Jesus was a created being, and the Holy Spirit was kind of a force. Um, they're, 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 this teaching was pervasive during the time of Athanasius. Uh, Aurelius, the guy from which um, Arianism gets his name, was said to be a very good-looking man, which... Um, like if, if your preacher's really good looking, I guess that's a negative example right here. Thankfully, you guys have me. Um, uh, he was said to be well-liked by the ladies. Um, he was also clever, and he came up with, I guess, his version of modern praise and, praise and worship. Uh, he, he was really clever, and he made up clever songs, um, um, and he made to, to help spread his theology. One of the songs... It went something like this. Um, there was a time when the sun was not. There was a time when the sun was not. Um, I guess it's one of those things where you had to be there. <laughs> that doesn't sound uh, real catchy to me. Um, now, the sentiment against Athanasius was so great, someone wants to ask him, why don't you just give in? The world is against you, Athanasius. To which Athanasius famously responded, he says this, if the world is against Athanasius, then Athanasius is against the world. Now think about that. This man was experiencing great persecution. He was exiled. His life was under constant threat. All because of a theological stand. All because he believed that Jesus was God. Right? Again, I, I want to point this out. Um, the, the stand that Athanasius was making was not a political stand. He wasn't fighting for power, which, by the way, could not be said of some of the other preachers and bishops of his day. Right? He wasn't fighting for political power. He wasn't fighting for worldly fame. His, his stand was theological in nature, right? It, it wasn't about um, being more popular with the Bible students. It was about who God is and what was his nature, right? It was about who God is and what was his nature. His battle was, was not just an academic battle um, where the only thing at stake was his reputation, his battle was about who Jesus was. His battle was about whether or not Jesus is God in flesh. But this is important. Why? Because the gospel is at stake here. He was willing to lose his life for the fact that he believed that Jesus could save. He's willing to lose his fact, lose his life for the fact that not only is Jesus our Savior, that Jesus is God in flesh. Why, why, why was this so important? Because if Jesus is not God in flesh, then he has no ability to save. The Bible says that salvation is of the Lord. It says in I, um, Psalms um, 68 verse 20, it says that he that he says, he that is our God is the God of salvation. And unto God, the Lord, belong the issues of death. 
The idea here is that only God can save. Now from that, we may infer, if Jesus is not God, then Jesus cannot save. This was the stand that Athanasius was taking. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about the need to find shelter in God, right? I made the point that as a society, we have, we have lulled ourselves into a false sense of security, thinking that we don't need God. Now, what is more troubling is that our subculture, evangelical Christianity, has over the past 30 years committed the same error. We, we have relied on elected politicians and not God. Right? Which has caused us to make one compromise after another. Now, over the past 10 years, the world has become increasingly hostile to Christianity and has taken a lot of people by surprise. A lot of people who consider themselves to be Christians have been shocked by this recent lashing out against Christianity. Now, it is with this in mind that I, I want to remind you of our need for courage. If we are going to, to be the people of God that this lost and dying world needs, we need courage. Why do we need courage? Courage is necessary because our flesh is strong. What is it that Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 24? It says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of death. Now the phrase the body of death is a reference to, to, to the believer's old nature, right? That is the part of us that is hostile to spiritual things. The old nature or the flesh as Paul calls it is dangerous because it has its own agenda. How many of you have ever felt this experience where you want to pray for someone almost as much as you want to punch them in the face. Right? Am I the only bad person in here? If I'm the only bad person, I apologize for ruining this perfect congregation with my sin, with my sin nature. Like, there, there's, there's a part of us that wants what's right, but there's a part of us that wants to rush headlong, headlong into destruction, right? There's a part of us that wants to indulge our lustful desire. There's a part of us that wants to indulge our anger, right? What is that? Well, that's the old nature. That's the flesh. And it's strong. It takes courage to say no to the flesh every day. It takes courage to say, no, I'm going to read my Bible. No, I'm going to pray. No, I'm going to respond in a Christ-like way to this circumstance. You see, the flesh wants to kill us. John Owen said this, either we are busy killing sin or sin is busy killing us. He also said this, even the best of saints being left to themselves will quickly appear to be less than men, to be nothing. All of our own strength is weakness, and all of our own wisdom is folly. That's talking about the old nature. The old nature is strong. It takes courage 
to be that every day. It takes courage to say no every day. Courage is necessary not only because our, our flesh and our old nature is strong. Courage is also necessary because we live in a hostile environment. What is it that Jesus said? John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. And this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that, that doeth evil hated light. Neither cometh to light, lest his deeds should be reproved or exposed. Right? Now question, why did Cain kill Abel? Because Cain, because Abel bore witness to the light. And Cain hated the light. Right? So because Cain couldn't extinguish the light, he killed Abel, the one who was representing the light. Question, what are, what are we as Christians supposed to do here on the earth? We're supposed to be the light. We're supposed to represent the light. That means every mean and harsh thing said to you because you stand for Christ is really not directed at you, is it? It's directed at Jesus. They can't spit in Jesus' face, so they spit in your face. Right? Um, they, 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 I guess they could leave mean and nasty Facebook comments on Jesus' Facebook page. If he had one, maybe there was a guy named Jesus that's really getting a lot of angry um, Facebook messages. I feel sorry for that guy. But since um, they can't do it to the real Jesus, they're, they're going to put it on your Facebook page and on your Instagram page. They say it to your face because they can't say it to his face. You see, the world hates light. The world hates light. Because we represent the light, the world is going to hate us. Therefore, we need courage. Courage is necessary because the call that we have is audacious. And I want you to think about what Jesus is asking us to do. I want you to think about what Jesus asked his first disciples to do. He has called us to tell people who are spiritually deaf about the transforming power of the gospel. Think about that. How do you tell people with words who can't hear you? We're called to show people who are spiritually blind the love of Christ. How do you show someone God's love and God's spiritual love who is blind to spiritual things. How do you do that? To stand up and take this call represents a kind of audacity if you think about it. Think, think about the Great Commission. Think about how the Great Commission must have sounded to the first disciples. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all men. It's just a ragtag group of people, right? He had the 12 disciples, and then he had like maybe like 100 people who were his followers that kind of followed him from place to place. It's a kind of a group about our size. He tells people who are about our size, a group of people about our size, he says, go and take over the world. And guess what? They did. 
Remember a few years later in Acts where it says, it's the disciples of Jesus who have turned the world upside down. For them to complete the task that their master gave them, it took lots of courage, but even more faith. The same is true for us today. For us to talk to anyone about the gospel, it takes a mixture of courage and faith. Because you don't know how people are going to respond. How many of you have ever talked to the gospel, talked to somebody about the gospel, and they got saved, and it was the easiest thing ever? You're like, why do I do this every day? I'll just go talk to that guy too, right? You go talk to that guy, and he almost ends up punching you in the face. I remember uh, when I was a teenager, I've told this story before, um, going and uh, it was with Brother Jerry Kimmel. Is Brother Jerry here? Uh, Brother Jerry, he can't really speak out loud. Uh, oh, there he is. I was, I, we went to um, the lake with John Wells, um, and they paired us together, and I was the talker, and I was a teenager, and I remember going, and he probably doesn't remember, but I, this is burned into my mind. Uh, there's these guys that look like biker guys, and they they look for like a lack of they look like white supremacists to me. And I thought like those guys aren't my demographic. <laughs> um, I'd rather go talk to those other guys. But like he like he wanted to since he was the adult. I went in. I was talking to the guy, and I was talking to him about. Um, the fact that we're all sinners, right? The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I was getting to the bad news that because of our sin, um, we're bad enough to spend eternity separated from God. We're bad enough to go to hell. And he, he, he stops me and goes, wait, I believe in God. And I remember from, from reading in the, um, my devotions as a teenager in the book of James where it says that even the the, the devil and the demons believe in God, right? And I quoted that verse to him, and he looked at me with all seriousness, and he said this, so you calling me the devil? <laughs> but it didn't, the guy didn't get saved, obviously. Uh, and I didn't get killed, obviously. But I remember as a teenager being petrified the entire day, walking up to strangers, tell, telling them, by the way, you're a sinner. By the way, um, your, sin is, your sin is bad enough to send you to hell. It was, it was at the same time exhilarating Um, it, it, it took the little bit of courage that I had as a teenager. I, right? I was, I was a timid 15-year-old, 16-year-old. But it's going to take the same amount of courage for you to talk to your coworkers about Jesus. And I'm not saying get on. I'm not saying get on the the table at your break room and and uh, preach to them sinners in the hand hands of an angry God. 
I'm not saying do that. I'm also, I'm also not saying don't do that. Um, if you feel the Lord calls you to do that, I don't know. Um, I doubt he will. I'm not saying do that. But there are times when you are with somebody and the, 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 the topic of conversation naturally leads towards the gospel. And in that time, it takes, and in that moment, right? And we all know what God is calling us to do. And in that moment, it takes courage. Now, the point in giving you the example of Paul and Athanasius is not to say it took real courage for them, so you guys, it ought to be nothing for you guys. That's not my point. My point is this. They did it. So can you. Does everybody still have that part in the Bible where it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Do we also have that in our Bibles, or did they take that out? I don't I don't. Sometimes people are always trying to take stuff out. You never have to be careful, right? That's still in my Bible. Which means the same spirit same power that they have and that they had, we have a we have available to us. If they can do it, you can do it. Let's all stand. I'll pray and then we'll have an invitation. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for everything you've done for us. I thank you for bringing us all here safely. Again, Lord, I, I thank you for allowing us to live in America where we can meet without fear of persecution, Lord. And we pray for those in other countries who are right this moment experiencing persecution. We pray that you would give them courage and that you would give them strength. And Lord, we're asking for the same thing for ourselves. I pray that, that you would give us courage and that you would give us strength to go out and to fulfill your mission. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. If the Lord has spoken to your heart, please come.